God, we come to this time now where we open your word together. And we're going to talk about that word. It really is an amazing thing that you have given us. Uh, we do not want to um, take anything for granted today. As we open that word together, we pray that you would give us wisdom and insight. And I guess as a beginning of that, that you just help us to have open hearts. We open ourselves to you, to whatever you may teach us during these next few minutes together. May your spirit speak. May, may he deliver your message to each heart here today. We pray in Jesus' name. Last month, uh, people in Florida celebrated a 20th anniversary. 20th anniversary of Hurricane Andrew. Andrew, yeah. 20 years ago. It, at that point, was the most costly hurricane that ever hit the coast of the United States. And in uh, South Florida, near Miami, Homestead, that area, about 185,000 homes were damaged or destroyed. Now you think about the city of Manassas, there may be 50,000 homes around here. Just multiply that by four and say, everybody's got a problem, a major problem. They've just lost their housing, and where are we going to put all these people? Thankfully, the loss of lives lives was not as bad as it is at other times, but it's still a, a terrible, terrible problem, especially because the people of South Florida know the hurricanes come every once in a while. And they should have been ready. They should have done something about it. Well, after the storm, a TV camera crew was on assignment filming the widespread destruction. And in one scene, amid the massive devastation, the debris everywhere, whole neighborhoods gone, stood one house virtually undamaged, still on its foundation, still had its walls, still had its windows, still had its roof, and they drove up because the owner was out there cleaning up his yard, cleaning up the debris in his yard from everybody else's house. And the reporter asked him, he says, Sir, why is your house still standing? Everybody else is gone. Your house is still here. He says, It's so weird. How did you manage to escape the severe damage of this hurricane? The man said, well, it's really pretty simple. He says, I built this house myself. I went in and got my plans drawn up. I found out what the code was. And I built it according to the Florida State Building Code. And when the code called for two-by-six trusses, I used two-by-six trusses. Whatever it called for, that's what I did. I built that house according to the code. And I was told that if I build according to the code, it would withstand a hurricane. And so I did. And it did. <laughs> it's still here. He listened to the code and it saved his house. I want to propose this morning that there is good reason to build our lives according to the code. That God knows what he's talking about. And if we will follow the code, we can save our lives as well. We began this series with words from the fourth chapter of 2 Timothy, 2 Timothy 4, 3 and 4, where Paul says the time is going to come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. People don't want to hear sound doctrine. But they will gather around them, Paul says, teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. 
They'll find somebody saying what they want to listen to. And they will turn their ears away from the truth and they will turn aside to myths and to imaginations and to the devices of man. Paul said that time is coming, Timothy. But I believe that time is here. The time is now. In the third chapter of that same letter, Paul said to Timothy, but mark this. Someday there's going to be terrible times. It's going to be the last days. There are going to be terrible days. People, he said, will be lovers of themselves. They will be lovers of money. They will be boastful and proud and abusive and disobedient to their parents. They will be ungrateful. They will be unholy. They will be without love. They will be unforgiving. They will be slanderous. They will be without self-control. They will be brutal. They will be not lovers of the good. They will be treacherous and rash and conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power. This is the Apostle Paul's description of the last times, the end times. When God is forgotten and people live only for themselves. But every time I read that passage, it sounds like somebody's describing America, present day. Doesn't it? How about you? How does that sound as a description to you? Is that something way off in the future or is the time now? This is the way people are living today. In our text this morning, 2 Timothy 3, starting at verse 10, Paul finally goes on from there and he says to Timothy, he says, this is the context, this is what life will be like, which for us is now. He says, but I want you to remember who you are. I want you to remember how you were raised. I want you to think about the faith you grew up and the examples of faith that you had in your mother and your grandmother and that you had in the leaders of the church where you grew up. And he reminds Timothy, that from infancy, from his earliest recollections, he was taught the Holy Scriptures. Now, in his case, it was the Old Testament. But from the first hearing, the first things he ever learned, somebody was telling him about the Word of God, the Scriptures. And he was taught that this is the path to the truth. Two weeks ago, we began looking at the truth. We began talking about absolute truth, that truth never changes Truth that is constant. Truth that can be counted on no matter what. Now and forever, this truth will be the truth. And this morning we want to see what this book, this Bible, has to do with that truth. Now as we read this text together from 2 Timothy 3, I want you to follow along and I want you to hear within this context what Paul says that the Bible says about itself. Because in these verses, especially verses 16 and 17, the Bible gives its best description of itself, its value, its, its purpose, its significance, right here in these verses. So listen carefully. 2 Timothy 3.10 You, however, know all about my teaching, my way of life, my purpose, faith, patience, love, endurance, persecution, sufferings. In other words, Timothy knew all about Paul. What kinds of things happened to me in Antioch and Iconium and Lystra, the persecutions I endured, and yet the Lord rescued me from all of them. In fact, he says, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evil men and imposters will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, this is a big, big change. As for you, Timothy, this is, the, this is our world. This is where we live. This is where where we do our work and the persecutions that Paul had received, 
But as for you, continue in what you have learned and become convinced of, because you know those from whom you learned it, and how from infancy you have known the holy scriptures which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Here it is. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. What is the Bible? Well, the word Bible simply means a collection or a, an authoritative uh, a document or book or instrument by which we learn uh, what some topic is about. There are all kinds of Bibles today. There are people that are, are, say, electrician. And they'll say, well, this book is the electrician's Bible. It tells you everything you need to know about electricity and how to work with it. Or, or there's a Bible for real estate. If you're a realtor, if you're looking for a house, if you're trying to get housing for somebody, this is the Bible. This is how you learn what that's all about. What is the market about? How do you work that? Or there's the Bible for auto mechanics and the Bible for golf and, and the Bible for cooking. You get the point. This Christian Bible is considered the authoritative source on God. That's why we call it a Bible. It's the God of the Jews and the Christians are here. Uh, he's, he's within the pages of this book, tells about him, tells, tells what he has, has shown about himself, what he's told about himself, what he has done, what the history has been, and uh, all the ins and outs of the doctrines and the theology and all the things that you might ever want to know are here, probably more than any of us will be able to fully grasp and understand in our lifetime. This book is a collection of 66 different books, really, divided into two sections, Old Testament, New Testament, you probably know that. It was written by over 40 different authors over a span of about 1,500 years. These books were written in three different languages, and yet it represents a unified message of God's plan, God's purpose for humanity. The Old Testament was written primarily in Hebrew with a little Aramaic thrown in. The New Testament was written exclusively in Greek. And yet these three languages with all these diverse, diverse authors, each in their own way, present a unified portrait of God and of God's plans and purpose in the world. Another word that describes the Bible is the word scripture. Well, scripture simply means sacred writings. Other religions have their own sacred writings, don't they? The, uh, the uh, Muslims, the Islam religion, has the Quran. Mormonism has the Book of Mormon. Hindus have the Bhagavad Gita. And the Bible is the, the Christian's uh, sacred writing. It's, it's, the, it's the scripture that says this is what we're about. This is what we believe. This is what we do. This is what we, we, we strive for. The difference is that the other sacred writings uh, are different than the Bible and that the Bible was not written by man, just by man. It was written by God. It's said to be God-breathed. And what Paul is saying here is that the fundamental characteristic of our scripture, what makes these writings sacred, is the fact that God breathed them out, that God spoke them into existence. Just as God created the world by speaking the world into existence and into order, he spoke these words through man. And we're going to think about that a little bit more. So this book did not originate in the imaginations, in the philosophies of man, 
but it originated with God who somehow got people to write it down so that we could see it and we could read it and we could know him better. And what is the Bible good for? Well, let's look at the passage in 2 Timothy 3, again, verses 16 and 17. He says, All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Here's where Paul describes the value, the purpose, the significance of the Bible. The Bible, he says, first of all, helps us become wise. It makes us wise. The first or immediate thing he says, wise for salvation in, uh, through our faith in Christ. It tells us how we can be saved. It tells us that Jesus died on the cross. And if we put our faith and confidence in him as our, our Lord and our Savior, that we can be saved from our sins and saved from hell one day. Paul mentions this first because this is the greatest single thing the Bible mentions. This is the greatest single message of this Bible. In fact, from cover to cover, it can be seen that that's what God was saying. Jesus needed to come, and Jesus gave his life. And if you will put your trust in Jesus, you too can be saved like others who have done that. The Bible makes us wise for other things, doesn't it? It makes us wise for daily life. It makes us wise for the things of what are right and wrong. Know the difference. It teaches us the principles by which this world works. It gives us wisdom for daily life as friends with friends and co-workers and as children and as parents and as spouses. And any relationship you get in, the Bible will give you wisdom for that. And it makes us wise. Secondly, he says the Bible is God-breathed. It is a revelation of God. It's not man's thoughts and ideas but something that came directly from God. The God who created our universe made himself known to us. He revealed himself and his heart and his purpose to us. 2 Peter 1, 20 and 21 says this, Above all, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation. For prophecy never had its origin in the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. I'm not sure any of us fully understand what inspiration is, how God got this word through people onto the pages here and then preserved it for us so that we would have what we have in the Bible today. But Peter does his best to describe it here as the Holy Spirit speaking through people, through their personality, through their writing skills, through their context, through their environment, through their past, through their knowledge, so that when they write it down, it has that, that human element of who they were as the writer, but it is God's message flowing through them so that what comes out is what God intended to come out. Here in Second Peter, we're introduced to another term for the Bible. It's the word prophecy. And sometimes we get a little confused about prophecy. We think prophecy is about telling the future. Prophecy is only, well, you know, three weeks from today, this is going to happen. But prophecy is more often a word from God, a teaching from God, something that God wants to reveal to us. God reveals things that we couldn't figure out on our own through prophecy. And sometimes those are future events, but a lot of times it's just giving us awareness and knowledge and wisdom that we could not have achieved on our own. The focus of prophecy is God revealing himself. And the Bible is God telling us who he is, what he's up to, what he's trying to accomplish in this world. Third thing Paul says in 2 Timothy is that the Bible is useful. It, it is practical. 
It's useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. And you will find, as you get to know this book, that it is one of the most practical, most pragmatic books anywhere. There is within the pages of this book a wealth of information about living daily life so that we can please God and so that we can get along and so we can live the most meaningful lives possible. I don't care what topic you come up with. I don't care what situation you come up with, whatever challenge you have, whatever joy you have, whatever relationship problem you're having, there is an answer here. And there is something that speaks to that. And, and I've never found the Bible coming up short saying, well, I'm sorry, doesn't deal with that at all. Because God knows. And God always has something to say about it. Terry Blankenship gives a very simple outline here of these four things. He says it teaches. It shows what is right. It rebukes. It shows what is wrong. It corrects. It shows how to get right. <laughs> and it trains. It shows how to stay right. Jerry LaPere gave a more complete answer to the question, what is the Bible good for? He says, first, it is to instruct and to teach us as to what the beliefs of the Christian faith is. Uh, it is to be used to instruct us in God's truth. It is God's manual of how to control, conduct our affairs in the workplace, in church, and at home, and society. Secondly, the purpose of the Bible, the usefulness is to reprove, or to rebuke those of us who are in sin, which is all of us at some point. It is to refute error. It's to, to, to uh, challenge our behaviors that are wrong. And it shows error in our belief systems and, and uh, things that differ from, from biblical Christianity so that we can know what is the truth, what is right, what is the right thing to believe and to do. Thirdly, it is used to correct us. And, and literally, when we're bent, when we get bent over and we're not following the way we're supposed to, it straightens us. It, it brings us back to an upright position. That's literally what the word means. It brings people back to wholeness. brings people back from, from the, the behavior that they've done that is ruining their lives and maybe somebody else's life. And it improves their life and character. It reforms us. It rehabilitates us. And it straightens us out. Fourthly, he said, is God's manual to instruct and train us in righteousness. It gives us a discipline to follow. It teaches us what that straight and narrow path is and gives us the wherewithal to stay on it. It trains us to live righteously. It chastens us. It convicts us when we stray so that we want to get back on that path again. And as I said, you'll never find a more practical and useful book than the Bible. You will find out more about life here in this book than any other book you could possibly pick up. Fourth thing that Paul says in 2 Timothy 3 is that the Bible is able to equip us for every good work. The purpose of the Bible is not so that we can just get a bunch of new knowledge. It's not so that we can just fill our minds with a bunch of information. We know all about God. We know what God is doing. And, and we just get really kind of puffed up by that because now we know it all. The studies of the scriptures, William Barclay said, must never be selfish, must never be simply for the good of a man's own soul. Any change, any conversion which makes a man think of nothing but the fact that he has been saved is not true change. It is not true conversion. We must study the scripture to make ourselves useful to God and useful to our fellow man. And we must study not simply and solely to save our own soul, but that we may make ourselves such that God will use us to help save the souls and comfort the lives of others. Now, God revealed not only himself in this book. What he revealed uncovers us. 
it exposes us. It exposes our hearts. It brings everything out so that whatever is inside of us becomes known to us and to God. He reveals in this book what is truly happening in our lives and why we need a Savior like Jesus. Hebrews 4, really, really important passage. It says this, For the Word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give account. So this is not a dead book that just lays somewhere, take it or leave it. This book is living. This book is active. This book is not an ancient book with nothing to say for us today. No, it is an interactive book. You know, they make a thing about interactive studies today. They want to have the teacher and the student talking to each other, and, and they want to make sure the student is getting it. They want the student to discover things. They want the student to process things. And that's exactly what God is doing through this book. He's not just writing words out there so that we can just fill our minds with information. He wants this information to change us. And the only way for that to happen is for this book to start revealing something about you and me as well as revealing something about God. The Bible is sharp and able to penetrate soul and spirit. Somehow when we read the Bible, it gets inside us. It searches out our thoughts and our attitudes and our feelings. It penetrates our souls and spirits where our true self is found. And as we come to know the Bible, the Bible comes to know us. The Bible judges our thoughts and attitudes. As we think about what we discover in the Bible, God holds us accountable for our actions and the motives behind them. And perhaps that is why some people reject the Bible as God's word. You know, you can read a lot of other books. You can even read the scriptures of other religions. And it's just so much information. It's just so much ideology and philosophy and ideas about life. No impact. No change of your heart is required. As long as you just get more knowledge, you're okay. But this book is not satisfied with that. Because as the Bible, the Word of God, it is seeking to change who we are inside of us. And it's asking us to, to become interactive with it and to learn from it and to change from it. We have asked, what is the Bible? What is the Bible good for? And what is the Bible to you? The third question. James McDonald at Crosswalk.com said that some people like to treat the Bible like an hors d'oeuvre tray. You know, you're to the party and, and uh, people are... You're having beverages before the main meal, and somebody's walking through, and they got these tray of hors d'oeuvres, you know. And you look it over, and you kind of pick and choose what looks good to you. Uh, yeah, I like those, but no, I wouldn't touch that, you know. And so you pick out what's right, and and you just treat the Bible that way. He says, you kind of go through here, and you say, man, I really like that. That talks about what my wife needs to change, <laughs> and uh, that tells my kids where they're wrong, and that that talks about that guy at work I'm having trouble with. But then the next passage maybe deals with me. So I, just, I just think I'll skip over that part. It becomes like the hors d'oeuvre tray. Some people, he said, like to treat the Bible like rental car insurance. I don't know about you, but when I go to rent a car, 
I check with my uh, State Farm agent, make sure I'm already covered because I don't want to pay that extra, and thankfully I'm covered. But a lot of people just say, well, it's only for a short trip. Uh, it's probably not very likely I'm going to have an accident during that time, so I'm going to skip that extra 20 bucks they want to add on to my rental fee, and I just avoid that. That's for somebody else, maybe the unsafe drivers, maybe the people that are accident prone. And so they just neglect that. They think it won't happen to them. Some people treat the Bible like a seatbelt, he said. A nuisance that just kind of wrinkles your clothing, cramps your style, kind of confines you when you want to be a little more free in the car. And we wear it, not because we think of all the possibilities, but because it's the law. Uh, maybe I'll pass the police. Maybe I'll get pulled over something else. You'll see the seatbelt's missing, and I got an extra fine on top of that. And that crazy thing is beeping at me. It's, you know, this ding, 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 ding. Put your seatbelt on. You've got to listen to that all the way there. So because of that, we wear the seatbelt, even though we really don't want it, we really don't like it, we don't think it's necessary, and we'd rather do without it. And some people look at the Bible that way, he said. What is the Bible to you? The psalmist. King David answered this question in Psalm 119. That whole psalm is the longest psalm, and the whole thing he's talking about the Bible. He's talking about what Scripture means to him. And he says things like this. Just read you a couple. He says, How can a man keep his way pure? By living according to your word. I seek you with all my heart. Do not let me stray from your commands. I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. In verses 30 and 32, he says, I have chosen the way of truth. I have set my heart on your laws. I run in the path of your commands, for you have set my heart free. So David learned the value of Scripture. What is the Bible to you? Do you see the Bible as the source of truth? Now Paul uh, uh, Clark gave a, a couple of great instances earlier of his own life and how things changed and how his view of of uh, Christianity changed as time went along and eventually realized there's a lot of truth here. There's a lot that, that God has shown so that I have something to base this on. It's, there's evidence. There's, there's, there's reliability. There's trustworthiness here. There is truth here. Not all churches today believe that God has revealed His truth to us in the Bible. Some churches reject that. They want to pick and choose. Some claim then we may be able to personally experience God in the Bible, but there's no real truth to find there. There's no absolute truth. Truth changes. Somebody pointed out to me, uh, uh, David, I think uh, the Star Wars you know, constantly is putting up this idea that truth changes. It depends on who you are and where you are. You know, truth, truth is different every time you look at it. You know? and that's how the world looks at this. But there is truth. There is absolute truth. There is truth that never changes. And the Bible is full of that kinds of truth. Not all churches recognize the Bible's authority over us. That it is the one true word of God. That all those other scriptures don't measure up. They don't cut the mustard. They, they, cannot, they cannot speak to us the way that this word speaks to us. Our commitment to the authority, to the truthfulness of this Bible here at New Hope Christian Church, that it is the one true word of God, is a big part of what makes us who we are. It is a reason for what we do. It is a reason for what we teach. It is the reason for what we believe and practice as Christians. It is the authority we go back to, not to the elders, not to the preacher, 
not to any man in this congregation, anybody in this congregation, not to a congregational vote. The authority of this congregation is right here in this book. And it's because we have seen that this is the truth of God that will never change, and we must give to that truth. We must subscribe to that truth. We must believe that truth that is there, and our lives must be surrendered to that truth. It is more important than any of us, and God has spoken. We must obey, and we must trust Him. That's why we are who we are. What authority then do you believe in your life? What, what authority do you accept? How do you make decisions in your life when it comes to deciding what is right and wrong? Do you say, well, you know, I go with my feelings. <laughs> I go with my feelings, but feelings could be wrong sometimes. Certainly your feelings are going to be different than my feelings. What if my feeling is, you know, I, I want to punch you out. And your feeling is, I don't want you to punch me out. We got a problem because now our feelings are just saying that's the truth. The truth is, I should be able to punch you out, <laughs> and and they have this battle of will, battle of ideas, battle of philosophies. There is a there is a truth that is outside any of us, given by God, and what we need to do is to yield to that in order to get along with each other. Maybe you say you you say that you choose your authority by what is culturally acceptable at the time. And, uh, you know, this is what everybody else is doing. But if 100% of the people are wrong, then 100% of the people, uh, you know, they're going to fail. They're going to miss what the truth is just because everybody's doing it. Choosing authority for your life is critical. So what do you use? I want to encourage you this morning, whether you've ever come to the, to the, the decision, to the conviction that this is where the truth is, I want to encourage you to pursue that. I want you to consider the Bible as your ultimate authority because the Bible has answers for all of life and from it you can find timeless answers to raise your kids, to improve your marriage, to manage your emotions, to handle your money, to experience forgiveness and to give it, to find fulfillment in life and to know what's coming next. It's all right here and it is credible, it is reliable, it is useful. Most importantly, the Bible changes us. Through it, God changes our lives. He transforms us. Although the Bible reveals God's truth to, it, it's, to us, its primary purpose is not merely to educate us. Remember what uh, Hebrews 4.12 says, the word of God is living and active. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. And even though our Bibles are ink printed on pages, the author of Hebrews says that somehow God's word is also living and it is active. It is alive. And this means that there is a dynamic energy in this book that is in no other book. It is the energy of God. The Spirit of God is using this book. And when a person reads it, that somehow the living God is actively working in and through the words of this book. When I get up to preach a message, I count on the fact that God is going to show up. That the Holy Spirit is going to take whatever comes out of this mouth and somehow translate it to your hearts. Because my words can't be anything. And my knowledge can't be anything. And my study means nothing. But the Word of God is everything. Because God can speak. 
And God will use the words of his book to speak to every heart in this congregation. And as preachers across this land and across our world are preaching the word of God today, it has nothing to do with them and everything to do with God. The Holy Spirit of God is using this book to change us. Through the Bible, the Spirit of God can change our lives. Just as a caterpillar is transformed into a butterfly, God works through the Bible to transform us into fully devoted followers of Jesus who wholeheartedly love God and other people. Christian faith is not a set of ideas. Being a Christian is not about spouting off doctrines or reciting creeds. Being a Christian isn't merely accepting certain facts about God or about the Bible. It's becoming a follower of Jesus Christ, a devoted disciple of Jesus, as we seek to live lives of passionate devotion to Him. The Christian faith is about being transformed, not just being informed. And once we enter into a relationship with God through Christ, the Bible is, with the Holy Spirit, the primary means through which God changes our lives. I pray that you appreciate what God has done and that this is not a book you're going to leave on some shelf somewhere. This is not a book you casually pick up and say, I guess I'll read a little bit of the Bible. The preacher said I should. But that you will discover that this book is full of God, full of God's life, full of God's interaction with you. And the Holy Spirit wants to use this book to change and transform your heart and your soul and your mind as that word gets in. Let me pray for you. Lord, I pray for each person here today. Uh, we come from a lot of different backgrounds. Some of us have learned that the Bible is just a bunch of ancient writings, a bunch of ancient history. It has nothing to do with us. The Bible is full of holes, some learn. Uh, that the Bible is full of mistakes. Uh, others are here today. They've, they've uh, done a lot of hard studying, a lot of research, and, and checked the evidence. and They're just growing in appreciation for what you have done in the Bible. There are others who have yielded to you and said, Lord, uh, teach me your ways. Give me wisdom. Help me to see the truth and help me to apply that. Help me to process that. And uh, just get into my heart. Change me from the inside out. So all kinds of ideas, all kinds of perspectives today. I just want to pray for each person here that they would take whatever that next step is they need to take. Maybe when they doubt that this is your book, they can just start really opening their heart with, with uh, objectivity and explore things. Maybe if they see that, that there are some mistakes there, that, that they explore those to see if maybe they could understand that better. Maybe the mistakes aren't the mistakes they thought were there. Maybe the contradictions are not really contradictions at all. Maybe there's some things that, that they could grow in there, appreciation and, and uh just see the value what you've given us. Maybe even if we've been a Christian, maybe we just believe this is your book. We've, we've already decided that. We still tend to treat it like the hors d'oeuvre tray or like car rental insurance. We just kind of have this take or leave it attitude. We, okay, we're saved. Good enough. I'm ready to go. And we need to have an attitude change there, Lord. You you want to do so much more with this word. 
Your Holy Spirit wants to transform us. And we yield to you today. We submit to you. Uh, God, our, our desires for you. Give us knowledge of you. Give us awareness. Give us uh, the joy and the peace of knowing you. And give us passionate, uh, a passionate desire for Christ. Just to serve him, to love him, to know him, to live for him. And may your Holy Spirit really work in our lives. Bless us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to sing together uh, just a song, uh, declaring to God our hunger for him. If you have a decision to make of any kind today, a decision uh, to follow Christ, maybe just to come up and say, would you pray with me? I'm struggling here. You know, I just need my church family to pray for me. Maybe, maybe some other decision that's on your heart. We just want to invite you to come forward while we're singing, if you have anything to share today. But wherever you may be, use this as a time to pray to God. God, we're hungry for you. We're hungry uh, for your word, hungry for, for what you can bring to our lives. Let's stand together and let's sing. Mm -hmm.